We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I'm a practicing clinical neurologist and pain physician in the Philadelphia metropolitan area, as well as the Delaware area. I work with five doctors in total, and we deal with concussions, work injuries, car accidents, and other neurological problems. If you'd like to ask me a question or suggest a topic, you could reach me and the email address is bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. I want to thank all the listeners. I'm proud to say that slow and steady, we're developing a base of loyal supporters. Whether you listen to us in real time or whether you listen to us on the, pom- the podcast on demand on Voice America Sports, we want to thank you for listening to the show. I'd like to think we're bringing to you very relevant topics of sports and sports medicine, and that this will complement the other shows on Voice America Sports that deal directly with sports and with other athletes. And we're going to begin this show by talking about heat stroke and heat exhaustion. We're going to progress to talk about concussions, and we're going to finish up by talking about the resolution of the NFL impasse. We'll talk about NFL quarterbacks, potential moves, and we'll name a few. We'll talk about Carson Palmer, Kevin Cobb, talk about Donovan McNabb, and Vincio. So without any further ado, let's get into talking about heat stroke and heat exhaustion. Headline, Chicago Sun-Times, Roy Halladay leaves game in fifth inning. Due to heat exhaustion, the heat index reportedly hit 103 degrees. So we have Roy Halladay, one of the most superbly conditioned athletes in all of sports, multiple Cy Young Award winner, always the first one in the gym and the last one to leave, leaving a game in the fifth inning with heat exhaustion. Roy said, I've never had something like that happen. He still can't explain why the heat affected him so much. 
And I'll quote Roy. It seemed like in between innings, I couldn't get away from it. I think it just got to the point where it just kept continuing and kept getting hotter and hotter, and I couldn't stop it. It was a combination of everything, heat, travel. I think it got me one point. In that last inning, there was a point where I, f- I felt like I was going to get wheeled off the mound. Roy Holiday reported that he couldn't even read the signs of Carlos Ruiz. That is, he had visual blurring, lightheadedness, dizziness. And we're going to use this as an example to launch into a discussion of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And this is very important for you athletes, young and old, because with the heat up into the 90s, the humidity, you have to stay hydrated. You have to prepare and you have to be vigilant for signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. The most important thing is when you see the signs and recognize it in your athletes, whether you be a coach, parent, or trainer, you must stop them from performing. You must get them out of the heat. You must get them hydrated. Because, regrettably, heat stroke can be a fatal disease. One of the most important things is that the thirst mechanism can be deceiving. Once a person becomes thirsty, they can be far along in the cascade of heat exhaustion. So it's very important to constantly hydrate, constantly drink electrolytes, whether it be your favorite beverage, whether it be Gatorade, water, you should be constantly drinking. Also, for some of you fans out there, you should realize that alcohol actually dehydrates the body. So if you're out there watching whatever sporting event and you're drinking alcohol on a hot day, you're not quenching your thirst at all. You're not doing your body any favor. And in fact, this will encourage and will propagate dehydration. So the fact of the matter is that alcohol does not hydrate. It does not refresh. What is heat stroke? Heat stroke is a form of hyperthermia. That is, the core temperature of the body elevates dramatically. It is a true medical emergency. Cooling the victim is critical in the treatment of heat stroke. So when somebody is beginning to experience heat stroke, they have to avoid vigorous physical activities, particularly in hot and humid weather. Who are greatest risk for having heat stroke? They would be the frail. That is, the very young and the very old as well as workers outdoors. It's important to note that heat stroke is not a real stroke. That is, it's a real disease, but the word heat stroke doesn't relate to regular stroke. And stroke means lack of blood flow to the brain, ischemia, anoxia. So when patients have strokes, they become paralyzed, they they lose blood flow to the brain. Heat stroke is uh, equally serious, but very different problem. What are the signs and symptoms? Lightheadedness, fatigue, vomiting, nausea, headaches, muscle cramps and aches. Patients like Roy Halliday can develop these symptoms suddenly and without warning. And they're not predictable. That is, why could Roy Halliday pitch for years and all of a sudden one day develop heat stroke? That shows essentially the frailty of the humans even the best, and therefore 
We have to be very vigilant for those signs. So what do you, if you, what do, you do if you start experiencing signs of heat exhaustion? The answer is cool them down. Cool the victim. Get the athlete to a shady area. Remove the clothing. Apply cold water to the skin. If the patient is conscious enough to drink liquids, have them drink cool water. And remember, avoid alcohol or caffeine. Monitor the body temperature with a thermometer. Notify emergency services. Call 911. If heat stroke isn't treated, there could be permanent organ damage. Essentially, the muscles could break down. And there's a condition called rhabdomyolysis in addition to myoglobinuria. That is, when the muscle products break down, they injure the kidneys, they cause the patient to have red urine, and there can be permanent kidney failure. And that's obviously you know, a terrible thing where somebody could require dialysis. And patients could die because of heat stroke. The last few years, there have been a few sad examples of athletes dying of heat stroke. There was a very sad case of Minnesota Vikings tackle Corey Stringer, who died of complications of heat strokes, of heat stroke actually, on August 1st of 2001. He was only 27 years old, but he was the first professional football player to die from the illness. There's been an institute dedicated in his honor at the University of Connecticut, which is the Corey Stringer Institute of UConn at the School of Education. The NFL will help publicize and market this institute. This is a place where all of you could turn in order to get information about preventing heat stroke and heat death. The primary mission of the Institute will be to extend awareness, education, and advocacy. The website is ksi.ucon.edu. Again, please log on and read ksi.ucon, that's u-c-o-n-n.edu. This Institute will offer services to athletic trainers, team physicians, coaches, and anybody who's interested in preventing sudden death in sport as it relates to heat stroke. So let's summarize. How do you prevent heat stroke? Number one, hydrate with water or Gatorade or another electrolyte solution of your choice. We're not here to endorse anybody, except, of course, for those sponsors who you know, pay good money to sponsor our show. But seriously speaking, Avoid caffeine. Avoid alcohol in the heat. When you have any of the symptoms or signs of heat stroke, get out of the heat. Go into the shade. Cool down. And if you're out there, if you're a parent, coach, or trainer, call 911. Get them to a hospital. Get them IVs. Please, don't let anybody die of heat stroke or heat exhaustion. This concludes our initial segment of Bruce's Sports Talk. Stay tuned. In three minutes, 
will begin a symposium on concussion. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Don't miss the show that gives you exclusive access to your favorite pro athletes off the field and in our communities. Join host Nick Murphy for Heroes Radio. Hear it directly from the source as we take you behind the scenes with your favorite stars. It's sports, community, entertainment, and fun. And it's all part of Heroes Radio. Tune in Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, only on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. Today's segment will deal with the issue of concussion. Our idea and understanding of concussions have changed so much over the last 10 years. Even as much as 10 years ago, a young athlete with a low-grade concussion would have been allowed to return back to the field. They often misnamed this as a dinger or getting your bell rung. As a result, many patients slash athletes have experienced very difficult sequela, that is, protracted headaches, thinking problems, and very important psychiatric side effects. So it's very important for us to look at the definition of concussion and look at the modern management of concussion. The clear definition varies among researchers, but most agree that it's a traumatic brain injury and it does not involve rupture of blood vessels. The the downside of that is that traditional imaging, such as CAT scans and MRIs of the brain, will usually not show anything. And doctors may be falsely reassured to think there's no problem with the athlete. However, this injury is a cellular event. It's an injury to the neurons, which are the cells in the brain. 
Back when I was in training in the late 80s, we used to require a loss of consciousness, that is somebody being fully knocked out in order to diagnose a concussion. That's changed. A lot of the research shows that less than 10% of concussions, less than 1 or 10 of real concussions involve a loss of consciousness. And also, as I said, there's typically no abnormality on standard structural imaging studies, such as CAT scans or MRIs of the brain. Okay, now, what causes a concussion? What are the forces? What's the physics behind a concussion? Well, typically, it involves an acceleration. That's something that's moving forward and something that recoils backwards, which is called a deceleration. Another important part of concussions is not only a force in a line directed at the head or the brain, but also the head rotating, spinning. Why do boxers get knocked out when their head spins? It's because those rotational forces produce great force to the brain. Further, if we look at sports concussions, we'll see that some of the worst, most protracted symptoms occur in people who have had rotational injury. Great example of that is the best hockey player in the world, Sidney Crosby. If you look at a slow-motion video of his hit, you'll see his head forcefully rotating. So his brain is not only subject to some linear forces, that is, the hit straight forward, but also a rotary action. So these rotary forces cause tremendous injury to the brain. So I told you that a concussion happens at the cellular level, that is, in the neuron. So what happens? So you have a brain cell, it gets hit, it gets injured. So the membrane, which holds everything inside the cell, gets disrupted. So potassium, which is a very important part of the inner portion of the cell, tends to leak out of the cell, and this causes a triggered release of something called glutamate or glutamic acid. This is an excitatory amino acid. So this becomes what we call a positive feedback cycle. That means bad things are happening. So you've got potassium leaking out. All of a sudden, glutamate, you know, basically is recruited in the area. That's a very irritating, uh, injurious type of chemical. And then there's something called a pump. So what happens is the neuron tries to help itself. So the pump starts increasing activity. The only problem is you use, you use up all your energy. So what are, what's the energy? This is ATP. Going back to uh, nightmarish chemistry, ATP is adenosine triphosphate. So ATP is the energy we have, and also sugar gets utilized. So all this happens, and what builds up? Something called lactic acid. Lactic acid's a bad guy. So let's go over this again. It's a little complicated. Injury to the neuron. The membrane, the outer portion, gets disrupted. Calcium leaks out. Glutamate gets recruited. Then more potassium, more glutamate. Then the neuron says, I got a problem here. I got to start pumping out this, uh, this bad stuff. So what happens? The brain then utilizes energy in a way, overuses its storehouse of ATP and glucose. And lactic acid, a bad guy, develops. So I hope you're with me so far. So when lactic acid develops, what happens is, the blood flow to that area of the brain decreases. So if you guys remember back in the 80s with Jimmy Carter, some of you aren't as old as me, hopefully. 
there was something called an energy crisis. You know what happened? There wasn't a lot of gasoline, and we called that an energy crisis. Well, guess what? When you lose your ATP, you lose your glucose, and all you've got is a waste product called lactic acid, and your blood flow to the brain diminishes, this is an energy crisis. Another bad guy, calcium is great when it comes to bone, but it's not something you want to have around your neurons. So basically, calcium also accumulates in the cells. So you've got potassium leaking out of the cells. You've got calcium surging in through the cells. We're losing blood flow. We're losing energy. And all of this culminates in actual cell death. That is, the neurons die. However, they are such that a small amount of neurons die to the extent that it's less than what can be resolved on an MRI or CAT scan. There's also a diminished metabolic state. That is, the brain just doesn't work well. And this happens to four weeks after injury. So we wonder, why do people who have concussions have difficulty with brain function? It's because this is going on. Those cells are just not working. So what do you have? You have people with slowness, fogginess, difficulty speaking, Difficulty seeing, difficulty processing visual information. This due, this is due to the death of certain neurons. It's also due to the fact that certain brain cells are stunned. They may eventually recover. And so in the first four weeks, typically, you'll see the worst effects of a concussion. Typically, you will not see a delayed worsening of brain function. That's some small good news here. When you have a brain injury... It's not like you get you get bad, then you start. It's not like you are maximally injured in the first four weeks. You're getting better, and then a year later, you have a setback. That doesn't happen. So when you see that as a neurologist, you have to think it's something else going on. Sometimes it might be a psychological part of it. That is, patients often get very frustrated, very depressed. There are sometimes, for instance, a minor league hockey player I just saw. He's 29 years old. He lost his whole career. So when somebody is unable to work, unable to make money, they're isolated, they're staying at home, plus there's a brain injury, particularly to the temporal lobes, which is a part of the side of the brain, what happens is people get depressed. So you can't see a delayed worsening relating to a psychiatric problem, but with respect to brain function, if you as a doctor or a trader see somebody who has a stepwise decline, you should think about something else going on. Girls are reported to have a higher rate of concussion than boys in similar sports. There's no scientific reason that has been delineated yet. But some believe that female athletes have neck muscles that are not quite as well developed. And therefore, that acceleration and deceleration, that motion is more because the neck is less capable of resisting the force. Also, it might, be due to, it might be due to reporting. That is, male athletes may be less likely to report their concussions and symptoms. So it may be that there are more male concussions than is recognized. Okay, So that, therefore, if the, if the girls are more likely to report the symptoms and the concussions, it may be that the research is skewed so that, in fact, many of the male concussions are simply underreported. Let's go over the signs of concussion. Physical signs. Headache, often mimicking a migraine. 
nausea, vomiting, difficulty with balance, tiredness. Light and sound are very annoying to people with concussions. Also, cognitive, that means thinking, how the braids are working. They might repeat the same question over and over. They might be just slow about their reactions. Trouble remembering, trouble concentrating, feeling foggy. Emotional issues, very irritable, very sad, very nervous. And a very big symptom is sleep disorders, that is insomnia. Again, that's magnified by anxiety and depression. So when I treat patients, one of the first things I try to do is, number one, if they have a headache, try to give them some analgesics that will help them with respect to their pain. Another thing is to help them restore their sleep hygiene. There's certain sleeping pills we use, something called Ambien. Zoldepem is the generic. There's a drug called Lunesta. And there are certain drugs that we used to use to induce sleep, which are actually not very good for patients with concussions. The Valium family, there's a big name called benzodiazepines. That's a big name. We won't ask you to repeat that one. But that is drugs like Dalmain and Restoril that were used many years ago to induce sleep actually have a very bad side effect. You know what that is? Memory loss, accumulation of metabolites, that is breakdown products, which further will increase the the lack of performance or therefore decrease the performance of the brain. So I usually use Ambien or Lunesta. I try to stay away from Valium, Xanax, Restoril, all those medicines, because they tend to suppress and inhibit brain function. So we're really moving along with our understanding of concussion. We're going to take a three-minute break, and we're going to get back to how do we treat concussion. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Get the inside scoop on the Georgia Bulldogs. Tune in to Keelan Johnson on College Football Game Day on the radio and every day on KeelanJohnson.com. On Keelan's Keeping It Real Radio, you can talk to Keelan and his former teammates about the Bulldogs, college football, and all things sports. 
Keelan's the go-to analyst for Bulldog football on pre- and post-game television on KeelanJohnson.com. And now, every week on the Voice America Sports Channel, tune in every college game day for Keelan Johnson, Keeping It Real Radio, Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it with 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. We're continuing to talk about how we as neurologists treat concussions. How do we manage concussions? The goal is to try to promote recovery and to try to educate the athlete, the parents, the traders, the coaches, so that the athlete avoids activities and situations that may slow recovery. Now, we're up against a lot with this in the sense that we're up against the athletes who feel that it's not becoming to miss time, that they're letting down their team. And we're trying to instill the fact that the best treatment of concussion early on is to rest the brain. That is, to not overstimulate the brain. And that means for students to be away from school for a time, to be away from computers, texting, Facebook, Twitter, and all of that stuff that we rely upon. And it's important we mention that because some athletes might stay home and all of a sudden... They're involved in text wars, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. It's very important to rest the brain. It's also important for the parents of athletes to realize and to not be in denial that their kid suffered a concussion. And particularly dads, and I happen to be part of the male gender, are extremely resistant to the idea that their child might need time off of work. And they might say, Back in my day, when we got our bells rung, they just ask us to hold up two figures and set us back in the game. So sometimes the, the, the parents are actually barriers to treatment. That's where some of the testing comes in. There's impact testing, axon testing. There's something called SCAT1, SCAT2. It's important that we subject the athletes to testing of their brains. And when they test very poorly... Not only does that help us learn exactly what we have to work on, but it's also important to, to like hold up the results in the parents' faces and say, hey, listen, this is your kid. He only has one brain. And sometimes you need that objective testing to convince parents that appropriate treatment is indicated. The modern treatment of concussion is very new. That is, much of the literature has evolved within the last five years. That means... That as far as medications that have been utilized for concussion, a large part of it is what we call empiric. That is, the doctor thinks it might work, so they use it. But as far as any really good large research, there is no evidence-based research regarding the use of any particular medication to accelerate the healing process of the brain. 
However, there are certain medicines that should be avoided. Because when the brain is injured, there may be a small amount of bruising or bleeding that may evade detection by CAT scan or MRI of the brain. So therefore, if you use a medicine that encourages bleeding, such as aspirin, ibuprofen, which is otherwise known as Motrin or Advil, or naproxen, otherwise known as Aleve, or any of the other milieu of platelet-inhibiting non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents, these are not indicated because they could encourage what might be a tiny little bleed or leakage of blood to become a full-fledged cerebral hemorrhage. So that is one group of medicines that are to be avoided. As I noted in the prior segment, there are certain drugs that tend to inhibit brain function as you know, a consequence of what they're doing. For instance, Valium, Xanax, all of those type of drugs, they're good for anxiety because they help calm people down. The only problem is, as a side effect, they make people lose their memory, at least temporarily. So benzodiazepines, Valium, Restoril, Transy, all these medicines should be avoided. So we want to avoid aspirin, ibuprofen, and benzos. What medications are used? Well, I've been all around. I've crossed the country several times in search of the ideal treatment for concussions, and this is a work in progress. At the University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Mickey Collins advocates the usage of a drug which allows enhancement of dopamine. So dopamine apparently is a good guy in the brain when it comes to treating symptoms of concussion. There's a drug called amantadine. Usually, start at 100 milligrams, make sure it's well tolerated, and then go to two pills a day. So patients particularly who have resisted symptoms, that is, they go weeks or months, and they're not getting better, they're dizzy, they're off balance, they're slow, amantadine stimulates dopamine and essentially is an agonist, that is, it acts like dopamine and has been at least anecdotally been used safely and effectively by doctors at the University of Pittsburgh. And they're a lot of the same doctors who invented the impact testing. We've also found in our practice at Grossinger Neuropain Specialists that in school-age kids, teenagers particularly, who are having difficulty thinking and remembering, and particularly scoring poorly on standardized, computerized tests like IMPACT, they tend to do very well on medicines that have a stimulatory effect, drug called Adderall, and other amphetamine-like drugs can be used safely and effectively. The thing about these drugs is they shouldn't be used willy-nilly. They should be prescribed by neurologists or experienced sports medicine doctors because they're highly controlled substances. They can be abused if they fall in the wrong hands. But in our experience, they can have a great effect, at least to be used temporarily until the brain recovers. And this is very important for students, particularly teenagers who are in the process of trying to get into college, trying to keep their grades up. And they often have homebound instructors. And it's very key to get them back to school and to get, it, to get them thinking. So while this, while this class of drugs hasn't been extensively studied, certainly not to prove that they are effective, I can tell you that we've used them successfully, and when they work, they really work. 
We also have been very adept at treating headaches. As neurologists, we are the headache doctors. We treat migraines, cluster headaches, muscle tension headaches. It's our job to treat migraines. And there's some great drugs out there. There's a group called the triptans. What they do is they stimulate a receptor in the brain called the serotonin receptor. Some of these trade names you may have heard of, Imitrex, Rolpax, Maxalt, just to name a few. And these drugs, the nice thing about them, they're not inhibitory. They don't slow the brain down. They don't cause memory loss. They don't cause sedation. And they're not controlled or classified. So they're not something that anybody would abuse. So we use this class of drugs to treat the headaches early on. There's also some combination analgesic agents, which uh, I'll, I'll name some trade names, Estric Plus and Midrin. They're basically a combination of various medicines, including aspirin. Again, we don't want to use that early on when there's a suspicion of bleeding. Tylenol, caffeine, and some butalbital, which at a very low dose does not have a substantially diminishing effect on cognitive function. So we use combination analgesics, these pills that are mixtures of drugs, and we also use tryptian medicines, which are very selective for migraine headaches, for severe headaches. They're great for people who have light and sounded sensitivity, uh, visual symptoms in association with headaches, and what we call post-traumatic headaches with migratus features. That is, a class of headaches that mimic migraines and are severe and debilitating, though occur as a consequence of a concussion. There's some experimental treatments that are being used anecdotally. There's something called hyperbaric oxygen. That's a special chamber that has oxygen, which you know is the important ingredient in the air for breathing. And a patient will go to a hyperbaric tank and they might get 60-minute treatments over a series of weeks or months. Certain athletes who have been reported to have benefit from hyperbaric is Harry Carson, who's one of the leaders of the NFL Concussion Initiative, the captain of the 1986 Super Bowl Giants. He's a very big proponent of hyperbaric oxygen. Recently in the paper, it was reported that Terry Bradshaw also suffers from memory loss and possibly chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that he went to California, and when he was there, he received a series of hyperbaric oxygen treatments. So listeners, let me be clear that nobody has proved, largely because of the studies, they just don't exist yet. This stuff is all very new. It's evolving in front of our eyes. We can't say for sure that hyperbaric oxygen helps. But it seems to be something fairly benign, kind of like chicken soup, and it probably can't hurt. And if your son or daughter is suffering from months of concussions, has tried everything, hyperbaric oxygen may be worth a try. Again, the insurance companies are going to pay for it because it's not an FDA-approved modality for treating concussion. So unfortunately, there are certain things in medicine that you have to you know, reach in your wallet and pay for and, and certainly hyperbaric oxygen would fall squarely in that category. There are some other diseases such as wound care. If you remember uh, 
T.O., if you're a, an Eagles fan, T.O. had a foot surgery, a fracture, and he came back to play the Super Bowl, and he had a series of hyperbaric treatments for wound care. Also, with burn care, hyperbaric is FDA-approved, and it, it is paid for by insurance companies. But again, I want to emphasize that this, like many so-called experimental treatments, has not been proven, and therefore, typically, or I'd say always, insurance companies will not pay for hyperbaric oxygen sessions in patients with concussion. So again, there are many treatments of concussion. At the core is something called cognitive rest. That may include a leave of absence from school, shortening of the athlete's school day, reduction in workload and exertion. And as part of the recovery, there will be an acceleration of exertion, training, and eventually, when cleared by a physician, a return to the sport. This concludes the second segment of Concussion, and we hope you'll join us in three minutes for the next segment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyer, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouillet and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. 
or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the fourth and final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. There's a lot going on in the NFL. It appears that the labor agreement is almost over. The owners have ratified the new deal, and the players will be voting on it. As we approach what might be the biggest frenzy in a free agent period in NFL history, that it could literally be three days of trades, free agent signings, and it could be a whirlwind. So I'm hoping that it is just that, that we could have some settling of the teams, it could go to training camp, and of course, the very exciting preseason. Just kidding. So with that as an introduction, we have our usual analyst, NFL football future great, and current analyst, Spencer the Wizard. I'd like to focus in on certain NFL teams that literally are without a quarterback, and where some of the free agent quarterbacks are going to be landing, trades, etc. So, Spencer, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bruce. Um, this this free agent period, uh, it, it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be so much fun. I uh, just hope that they get this deal done, and uh, let's talk some football. Well, I w- let's go down the line. I think here in Philadelphia, the big talk is Kevin Cobb. The conventional wisdom is that Kevin Cobb will be going to the Arizona Cardinals for Rogers Cromarty, who is a, a cornerback. The Eagles are much in need of cornerback help in the sense that they had the worst red zone defense last year and it had a huge impact on their season. That is, people cut through the red zone like a knife through hot butter. So I'd like you to give me a frank analysis, strengths and weaknesses of Kevin Cobb, and what kind, is he going to go to the Cardinals or where else? Well, Kevin Cobb, in my opinion, uh, with what he's done in the NFL and even going to a Conference USA uh, college in Houston, I believe that's Conference USA, uh, Kevin Cobb has has been overrated, in my opinion, by a lot of NFL analysts. You know, growing up in Philadelphia, I've watched Kevin Cobb, and I've even watched a couple um, – rain football games that games that he that he's played in inclement weather and I I just um he kind of reminds me of a watered down Carson Palmer in the sense that he really doesn't put good zip on a deep ball he could lob the ball accurately in um kind of like a Chad Pennington but his arm strength is not one of a Dante like Culpepper per se he can't throw like a 60 yard on a line you know, bomb, but Kevin Cobb could definitely manage short throws. He's good at intermediate throws, um, and he can he can handle throwing screen passes and checkdowns. Um, you know, when he was with the Eagles, he was throwing a lot of balls to LaShawn McCoy. Um, and I think Kevin Cobb is just a decent quarterback. Um, and Arizona would be a nice place for him to start building his football career. Um, the competition in Arizona is um, 
is not very strong. You have Derek Anderson, who had his best years with with Cleveland, and last year didn't really prove anything with um with the Cardinals. And then you have the um the second year quarterback um that that played well on a um that played well down the stretch, but he isn't really a um he isn't really a fret, I don't believe. Um, so I think Kevin Cobb should step in and, and win the job. And Arizona does need a quarterback. So um, yeah, that's my take on uh, Kevin. Well, staying with the Eagles, former Eagles, Donovan McNabb. He certainly had a very forgettable season in Washington. He literally got ostracized by Mike Shanahan. And Mike Shanahan basically refused to play him and benched him. It put in future Hall of Famer Rex Grossman. So there's some thought... Because of the connection between Leslie Frazier, who used to be a defensive back coach for the Eagles, he's very familiar with Donovan McNabb. Donovan is a very professional quarterback, although the rapid Philly is that he could never win the big game. Certainly the Super Bowl, there's rumors that he actually was throwing up in the huddle. Uh, They have been unconfirmed. But he's very controversial in Philadelphia, for considering that he is the uh, leading uh, yard gainer for any quarterback in Eagles history, we could say that he certainly quarterbacked a lot of teams that were uh, underachievers. Uh, lost the game at Tampa Bay, the last game at the vet. And I would say that almost 90% of the Eagles fans were happy to see him go. And obviously the Eagles didn't think much of him because they traded him to their division rivals, the Redskins. So tell me your thoughts about Donovan McNabb. Well, honestly, um, Donovan McNabb had a great career in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, I actually think that the Eagles fans appreciated his time. I was at the Eagles-Redskins game last year at Lincoln Financial. He actually received a standing ovation. So I'm not sure, you know, if I agree that all Eagles fans wanted him to leave, I think it was definitely half and half. And that's because the guy was playing here for 13 years. Um, so after 13 years, even if you're with like a Hall of Fame quarterback like Donovan, who who might be a Hall of Fame quarterback, 13 years is long for anybody. So that's why I believe that the Eagles fans were maybe uh, pushing towards, towards a change. Um, and, and for Donovan, he has to get out of Washington, plain and simple. Um, Shanahan and the Washington Redskins are already uh, moving on with the Mormon John Beck from BYU, um, who's finally going to get a chance to uh, to probably be a starter, and then he will uh, be uh, be competing with Rex Grossman. So Donovan McNabb's kind of out of the loop in Washington. Um, my landing spot for Don. Um, Minnesota would be would be a great landing spot for him. They have Christian Ponder, who's a, who's a rookie out of Florida State, who could who could be good, but he needs like three years, I believe, to uh, to really um, be in the NFL system. Two to three years. And right now, Minnesota has a great um, they have a great system. They have Shank at the tight end, uh, Desante Shanko, um, very solid tight end. Then they have Sidney Rice, who if he could stay healthy, will be one of the best fantasy wide receivers in the whole league. He's got tremendous upside, um, 
And that, and then, of course, you have Adrian Peterson. That's pretty easy to take the ball and hand it off to AP on first downs. Um, so, so Minnesota's a veteran squad. Their defense could still come alive with Jared Allen. They could compete. You know, in the NFC North, I know they have Green Bay, but they could definitely, you know, compete for a wild card playoff spot. And and McNabb right now, he's got it. He's got to start looking towards the prize. He 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 doesn't have that many years left. I think he maybe has three to four years left in the NFL. And if he goes to a place like Minnesota, I think I would prefer prefer better for him than over a place like Miami, where it's going to need some rebuilding. Donovan needs something right now, and um and he wants to get his ring before it's all said and done. One of the most intriguing situations is with Carson Palmer and the Cincinnati Bengals. He basically laid out an ultimatum to the Bengals and Mike Brown. He said he will not return as a quarterback. He'd rather retire. He would literally give up approximately $40 million. So this is an interesting question, Spencer. You know a lot of people out there. How many people do you know would give up $40 million to not play for the Cincinnati Bengals. Certainly, we can name, I only know one person. That would be Carson Palmer. So, uh, I think he's a bit young for retirement. And what are your thoughts about this? Well, Carson Palmer right now, I think that this is all talk. And I think he's, I think this is actually a very, you know, intelligent way to go about this. Because... Um, he's made it clear that he wants to get out of that he wants to get out of Cincinnati, and um, it, I believe that when um, that he's just holding out of training camp because training camp's brutal for anybody, and even quarterbacks. And you know when the season starts ticking around, I know Carson Palmer. He loves to play football. He, he'll have to, you know, he'll have to get in that uh, in that Tiger uniform. He'll have to put on the uh, put on the stripes of the Cincinnati Bengals when it gets uh, when it gets time to start going. I think that this is just all talk, and I think it's pretty smart by Carson Palmer because if he wouldn't have done this, um, he wouldn't be the talk of free agency. And for Carson. Uh, to be with the Bengals for so long, same coaching staff, and uh, just seems like an unexciting team that's just going to be in the cellar again of the AFC, of the AFC North. So, um, so, so for Carson, uh, you know, that's my take on him. Let's talk about an enigma. His name is Vince Young, great college quarterback, running quarterback, big and strong, certainly. Earlier tonight, we were reviewing some highlights, which could be best called bloopers, of Vince Young. Basically, fumbling the ball at exactly the wrong time, throwing interceptions, looking awkward, looking like he was throwing the ball with his non-dominant hand. (laughs) And the question is, two-part question for you, Spencer, to conclude our final segment. Number one, is Vince Young a starting quarterback in the NFL? And number two, where is he going to be playing next? Part one. Vince Young will only be a starting quarterback in the NFL if he is on a very mediocre team because his arm strength is definitely not NFL material. And for what we've seen with Vince Young, he has a shaky personality. To, to be successful in this league, you have to work hard. That's the bottom line. You have to work hard. And Vince Young, he could be a running quarterback um, there's two things that make Vince Young, that, that make up his stature and made him a great college quarterback. One, he's so clutch, 
Okay, he's won a cha- he's won he won the Rose Bowl, pretty much putting Texas on his back in 06. Um, you know, when the pressure's on, Vince Young can drive his team down there, down the field. But in terms of just having the makeup of a starting quarterback, one, he needs his work ethic, and two, I just don't think his arm's very good. Um, he can't really throw the ball uh, that far. I think he could probably throw it like only 40 yards which for an NFL quarterback is probably one of the lowest numbers uh, in the in the game. And I just don't think he could throw the sideline routes. Um, and, I, you know, he could, if he gets work ethic, he could be maybe a starting quarterback for a little bit with like a mediocre team like, say, Buffalo. Um, and, uh, you know, that's my, you know, that's Vince Young for you in a nutshell. Well, certainly we're going to keep an eye on the quarterbacks. Free agency, free agency, that's the word. Hard to say, but free agency is the word. So we're looking to a frenzy, a feeding frenzy with respect to free agents and trades. It's all coming down to the next few days. We certainly will be reporting on that as we head into the NFL season. I will be, of course, going through and talking about sports injuries throughout the NFL season concussions, neck and back injuries, and knee injuries. And that's really our focus of this show. So in any event, I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today to Bruce the Sports Doc. We'll see you next week. And as always, go out and work out. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.